With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with MotoGP here on the Overtime Media Network. Joining you today, as always, is Mr. Mark Daly and Mr. Mark Hamilton. Today, we are going to dive into the meaty topics of the MotoGP preseason. How is Valentino Rossi (laughs) going to do with his new team? How is Mark Marquez going to look coming back after a major injury? Now, I realize I probably made this long-winded joke before, and I'm starting to go a little bit red. But that said, welcome to the podcast. You know, we are now seven, eight, nine days away from the first race of the season. We're just hours away from Netflix dropping Drive to Survive Season 3, which I'm sure we'll talk about. And we are fresh out of winter testing. And we've got a ton of material to cover there. But, you know, it's it's crazy. Like, the, the more... The more I kind of lean into this season, the more I realize that we're entering a whole new world. And in so many ways, 2021 is kind of a bridge year, right? Like we were expecting, we were fully anticipating that 2021 was going to be the new F1. It was going to be Formula One V2.0, new bodies, um, massive parity, um, the incredibly tough, hard cost cap. But that didn't happen. And it didn't happen because COVID happened and Formula One and Liberty decided, let's push that off for a year, give you guys a year to get some breathing space from a financial perspective, and we'll launch the new regulations next year. But what we've seen this year is we're starting to introduce a lot of those changes. And and I want to talk about that a little bit before we get started here. But before we do, you know what? Take a breather. We're out of winter testing. Your initial thoughts. You excited for the season? Drive to survive in three hours. Yeah, I mean, talk about a great fr- a Friday. I mean, first you get to listen to this podcast when you wake up in the morning, and uh, you could follow it up uh, by binging the entire season three of Drive to Survive on on Netflix. I, I know what I'm doing. I mean, it's just like the I you know the listener totally that emailed us last week and uh, you know bravely uh, admitted that uh, he binged all the the shows that we'd put out since New Year, and uh, you know that that which is completely awesome, of course, but. You know, you totally caught me off guard there coming out of left field with that whole MotoGP <laughs> thing. I'm like, hey, w- w- did, did I miss something in a, in a team meeting here? Was it, was there a rebrand I'm not, <laughs> I wasn't aware of? But uh, yeah, it's great. You know, it, it was funny. I was thinking about it this afternoon, Mark, when I was uh, going out for my walk after I finished work. And I was just like, I, I was starting to get really excited. I'm like, it's here. You know, it, it is literally here now. I mean, it, uh, it it got real all of a sudden because I thought, okay, well, winter testing is gone. And I started looking at the calendar. I'm like, hey, when we after we do this show and we sit down next week, we're going to be doing our season preview and we're going to be previewing the first race of the year, which is awesome. And it's just as, as long as the off season always feels when, when you get to the cusp of the season, like the, the right before the season starts, it feels like all those preceding months excuse me, months and, uh, and and weeks just evaporate into nothing. It's awesome. You know, there, there's so many interesting things to talk about right now. I, I still have a sheet of paper, like my notes from a podcast that feels like it was last week, 58 days until the first race of the season. <laughs> like where, where did the last like 51 days go? It's, it's, it's totally bonkers. And 
you know, I think I, I kind of want to set up the, this podcast a little bit because I think a lot of the content that we're going to talk about is really reflecting on the outcomes of preseason testing, which was last weekend. It was Friday. It was Saturday. It was Sunday. And I think kind of to set the stage a little bit, I think it's important to understand. We talked about this a little bit last week that winter testing was really compounded this year. So in the past, it was historically eight days. Last year, it got chopped down to six days. This year, it's three days, which means that teams really have three days to do a technical shakedown of their cars before you go into the first race weekend of the year. And again, this is all about reducing cost and creating parity. So what we've seen and what we're going to talk about today is going to be a little bit awkward because for a lot of these teams, like they're rolling these cars out. If they have a bad day, if you have a gearbox issue or a battery issue, you lose positive possibly 33% of your entire winter Mm -hmm. session. So I think that's important to understand. I think that the next thing that's really important to understand, and I heard this on a podcast earlier today, the Shift F1 podcast, so I'll give them full credit, but they made a really great point. And they were talking about the fact that if you wanted to go and find the 2020 F1 cars, for the most part, they don't exist because that car has fundamentally been integrated into this year's car because the parts carryover is so significant. These teams didn't, for the most part, build any new cars. They simply recycled last year's cars. So the last year's cars, the 2020 cars are effectively absorbed into these Frankenstein 2021 cars. And it's really important to understand that there are some major suspended components going into this 2021 car. So the suspension's identical, the gearbox is identical, the chassis is identical, the survival cell is identical. And really with the exception of McLaren that kind of got a waiver because they had to make that power unit switch, these cars are very, very, very similar to what we saw last year. Now, there's also been, and I kind of want to tee this up as well, some fairly significant rule changes. And the primary emphasis around this was F1's looking to increase or sorry, decrease downforce. So the Formula One teams, their engineers have done such a great job building these super, super, super slippery cars that they're shredding the Pirelli tires and that Pirelli's engineers can't keep up with the team engineers that are building (laughs) cars that are becoming too fast for the tire. So they've done a couple of things. One, to reduce downforce, they've made some significant changes to the floors of the car, which we talked about last week. They've changed the diffuser. They've changed the brake ducts. Now, one of the things that I also learned uh, this week, and, and I didn't actually know about this, and I think it's really interesting to talk about a little bit, is Formula One has now imposed a sliding scale. So for teams in the offseason, the amount of time that they're allowed to spend in the wind tunnel or working through computational fluid dynamic computer simulators, the amount of time they're allocated to use those resources varies based on the performance last year. So for instance, Mercedes won the Constructors Championship, they won the driver's title. They get a fraction of the time to use those resources that a team like Haas or Williams would, which I thought was really interesting. We're not going to see DAS this year, and I don't know if we're going to touch on this. That was something that Mercedes kind of surprised the world with when they showed up to preseason testing with it last year. Um, And the other big one is that in the past and last year, for example, teams were allowed to bring updated, upgraded power units throughout the season. So you know what? Last year, they were allowed to bring two new power units, which means, hey, we bring a power unit to winter testing. We can bring a new one a couple months later, and then we can introduce another one later. So the teams were allowed to iterate on the power units coming into the season. But the minute we hit Bahrain, that power unit is frozen, and they can make no further changes to it until the end of the season. So if they show up with 
with a crappy power unit, you're stuck for the year. There's no iterating. There's no changes. So for a team like Ferrari, it means they better have gotten that recipe right no kidding, from the right? very beginning. Yeah. So I kind of I kind of wanted to set the table for what we're going to talk about because I think a lot of this is kind of foundational and good knowledge for the conversation that we're going to have today. Yeah. Well, you know, the, there there were a couple of things that really stood out uh, from winter testing. Uh, number one was like the changes to the floor, and the, the one thing I found really really interesting was uh, the the fact that uh, uh, Mercedes has gone with like this ripple floor along the edges because you know they've they've made these changes and now they've done other things by putting like these fins at the back some of the teams to try and direct the the the, the airflow around the rear tires and things like that and then you got McLaren that it's kind of come up with this radical diffuser design it's it's really quite interesting because uh, you know usually I don't obsess on these uh, little details uh, too much but uh, that this year I find it really interesting because like you say we we've got these Frankenstein sort of hybrid cars that are sort of bridging this year till next year when it's going to be, you know, completely new Formula One, right? Totally. Totally. And uh, it's, it, uh, you know, but that, you know, you know that, that notwithstanding, I find it interesting where you see some of the teams have uh, decided to spend their tokens. McLaren obviously had to, sp- you know, spend their tokens heavily on the uh, the, the fact that now they have, uh, you know, a Mercedes power unit going into a car that was designed to hold a Renault engine. So that was one of them. You've got to see Alpha Tauri, for example, that have invested heavily in redesigning the nose on that car, among other things. And it's, it's really cool to see the cars completely unveiled because when we had the releases two weeks ago and we you know, or over the past several uh, weeks, actually, you know, you get these uh, models uh, that are not models, but you, the cars that are, you know, strategically photographed or, you know, they, they, their parts totally. are hidden and they, yeah. they unveil it. I mean, uh, you know, Mercedes kind of surprised a lot of people showing up to Bahrain with this ripple floor. And now it turns out that this car has an extremely unstable uh, rear end. So now the question is, you know, can they fix it? And is the, the you know, this floor the problem? I mean, they've been saying themselves that there there's no easy fix to it, but Let's, uh, you know, before we kind of dive into it any further, let's just run down some of the fastest uh, lap times. So the the fastest time of the entire test was uh, Max Verstappen, who uh, set a, uh, the fastest time of 128.96. And this is really, I think, the standout is uh, Yuki Tsunoda and the Alpha Tauri, the sister Red Bull team. And uh, he set a fastest time of 129.053, so less than a tenth of a second off Max's fastest time. That was really impressive. Then you have Carlos Sainz, Kimi Raikkonen, Lewis Hamilton, George Russell uh, setting uh, a time of 130.117. So he's about 1.15 seconds off Max's fastest time. Danny Ricardo, Sergio Perez, Fernando Alonso. I'm going to have to get used to that, you know, <laughs> talking about Fernando back in Formula One. And then uh, Charles Leclerc uh, rounding out the top 10. I mean, uh, Charles, his time was a 130.486. And, you know, he's a second and a half, uh, you know, off the pace of uh, Max Verstappen. But, I mean, Sergio Perez, I mean, he's 1.2 seconds off of his teammate. And uh, he ran only 49 laps compared to 65 uh, for Max. So, I I don't know. What what is your takeaway from some of the lap times there? Out of those top 10 finishers or those top 10 fastest lap times, which are the ones that stand out for you? You know, I, I'm super glad you asked this question. And, and for me, you know, and I, I think you and I talked a little bit about this on WhatsApp. <clears throat> I, I think you want to be careful, um, especially in Bahrain, not to read a lot into these lap times. And I, I think it's important to understand a couple of things. One, the Friday, the Friday sessions were pretty much a write-off. Um, I, I don't know if our listeners saw, but there's some fantastic photos. The area got hit with a sandstorm. Um, the conditions were slippery. It was windy the entire time. The track was a disaster. So if, if you look at the if you look at the number of laps the teams are putting down, there wasn't a ton, a ton on the on the, the Friday. But I, I think some of the the analysis that I've seen suggests that due to the impact of humidity at this track at certain times of day. 
a, a lap time that you might put in at say nine or 10 in the morning, if you put that exact same time in four hours later in the middle of the day when humidity hits its peak, it could be 2.6 or 2.7 seconds slower. So there's a lot of dis- debate about like, you know what, Max did fantastic. He put in a great time, but the fact is he just happened to put that lap time in at an optimal time of day versus Sergio Perez, who was putting an equally good pace, but he was just putting them in at a inferior time of day. So for, for me, I, I don't want to put a lot of stock into these times. I, I think for me, the takeaways, one, the Red Bull Honda engine, and I got to start saying Red Bull slash, the Red Bull Honda engine looked fantastic no matter. So aside from all of that noise I just introduced and that friction to the conversation, <laughs> I think the bigger takeaways for me is the Honda motor looks fantastic. Um, it had a great day on Thursday. It had a great day on Friday, despite the conditions. And it had a great day on, on day three as well. To me, that looks fantastic. Um, the Alpha Tori, and, and again, I think there was a lot of criticism on social media, and I think we got to be cautious with that with that Yuki time because he was a, he was being a little bit liberal with the DRS switch to get yep. that time on day three, and I think some of his fellow racers had commented on that as well. But for me, you know what? I'm cautious. I'm cautiously optimistic for for Red Bull Honda, but I, I don't want to take a lot from these times to be honest. Simply because the conditions weren't optimal, the track was very slippery. There was high wind all three days, and the Friday session was pretty much washed out because of a sandstorm. So I'm, I'm being cautious. So I'm not reading a lot into this. I think for me, and I know we'll get into this, I think the more compelling stat is the total number of laps that the teams were putting in because that speaks to reliability. And if you look at this race weekend, if you look at the teams, and I know we'll get there, um, most laps completed by team Alfa Romeo at 422, Aston Martin at 314, and Mercedes 304. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, it's it's pretty impressive too. I mean, if you look at uh, some of the individual, uh, sorry, individual drivers, Kimi Raikkonen comes out on top with 166 laps, 158 uh, for George Russell, and then you go down, look, look at the list. Uh, I mean, Lewis Hamilton only 54 laps, uh, you know, out, out out in testing over the course of those couple of days. Valtteri Bottas a little bit more, 86. Sebastian Vettel 56 in the Aston Martin, and uh, you look at Sergio Perez only he didn't even uh, break, uh, you know, a half century only had 49 laps so it it really is interesting i i think you bring up a, a really great uh, point mark uh, just the fact that uh, you know they're, they're running at different times you know they're running uh, in different uh, you know scenarios you know there's the whole question about uh, who's sandbagging and and who's uh, you know all, all these different so questions so. i mean i always harken back to what was it 2018 i think it was or is it 20 maybe it's 2019 when ferrari came out and uh, they were yeah they were like everybody saying oh they're a second or a second and a half faster than the mercedes and it was all just uh you know it was it was just all spoken mirrors uh, really i mean by the time we got to uh, australia several weeks later it uh, it just did not live up to, to reality but i mean that's notwithstanding and we'll get into this in a moment because we're just coming up on a break here uh but i i mean i think red bull have to be pretty positive about uh, what they achieved over the past uh you know the past week and i'm not just saying that because i'm decked out in the the, the red bull team wear tonight uh but uh, that that's a uh, part of it but i mean they they do have a reason to be very very positive Positive. I mean, uh, you know, we're, we're hearing things from uh, Mercedes struggling with the, this rear end on the car. And it, it, it's funny, it's just the, the language you just don't expect to hear from coming from Mercedes. I mean, it, it seems like Mercedes and Red Bull have almost switch bodies over the past uh, past week. You know, it just uh, it's, it's, it's a bit of a bizarre, a bizarre scenario at the moment. I have a ton to add to that, but we should probably jump to a break so sure. I don't derail the show like usual. <laughs> it's all good. Anyways, uh, let's do just that. We're going to take a quick break here on the Overtime Media Network, so don't go away. We'll be back in just one moment. 
passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right. Well, welcome back to the podcast. It's always up to speed with Formula One here on the Overtime Media Network, coming to you in podcast and also on YouTube to welcome to all our listeners and viewers this week. So, Mark, going back to uh, winter testing, which we we talked about in the first segment of the show here, and uh, I, I think we really need to just uh, discuss the situation uh, a little bit further between uh, Mercedes and Red Bull because, you know, as I said uh, just before the break, uh, Mercedes obviously struggling with the rear end on, on that car. They're saying that there's no easy fix to it uh, and. Uh, just to, it's almost a little bit of sort of fatalistic and, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't want to say defeatist kind of tone, but just not the sort of uh, language you hear from, uh, you know, from, from Mercedes. You have uh, Bata saying, well, they had a decent recovery. It was a decent test and things like that. And then you have Marco, on the other hand, uh, at Red Bull saying, this is the best test that we've ever had since Red Bull's ever existed. And, you know, it's just, it's completely the opposite, uh, you know, opposite sort of tone that uh, you're hearing from both of them. And I, I find it, uh, fascinating i mean you obviously can't count mercedes out because we've seen them you know hit some 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 snags over the years and then they go back and they double down they come back two weeks later at the next race and it's like nothing ever happened and they're 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 better than they were before so i mean they're going to figure it out the question is can they figure it out quick and uh you know when they do figure it out how are they going to match up against red bull i mean the the litmus test of course is going to be in a week's time when we get to the first race but is there there's an awful lot of question marks out there heading into the opener I completely agree. I, I got to share something that one of my one of my close friends had messaged me on WhatsApp a couple of days ago. And he'd made this comment about the fact that he's like, I'm just, I'm so sick of how humble F1 teams are when they're being interviewed at during winter testing. It's like, you know, you go up to a driver on a team's like, well, you know, we're trying, but this team looks amazing and that team's awesome and their pace is fantastic. It was really interesting because you kind of speak to that with with uh, with Red Bull, which is Helmut Marco's like, hey, this is just flat out the best winter testing we've ever had and it's it's relatively unusual for a formula one team to demonstrate that degree of confidence because the the season starts so quickly and things can turn on you so quickly that that quote can kind of just sit there for the rest of the season as your performance deteriorates weekend over weekend over weekend so i thought it was super interesting that he was willing to make a comment like that but it also speaks to the fact that i think they've done some really important foundational things and and i think they've done some really important technical things and honda themselves have been pretty open about some of the changes that they made to the power unit so the power unit that honda brought to red bull to milton Keynes during the off season is almost a completely new build it's an all-new power unit it's smaller it's lighter it's got improved thermal efficiency it's far more compact and it sits lower in the car which provides a lower center of gravity so honda is ecstatic about the power unit 
Honda themselves kind of speaking to the level of confidence coming out of the Red Bull family right now, they believe that the Honda power unit that they showed up to winter testing with produces more power than the Mercedes power unit that won the constructors and the drivers titles last Hmm. year. They are full of confidence. So from a technical perspective, I think they're in a really good place. They've obviously made some significant changes to the suspension, which we talked about, but foundationally, and I think this is the reason they're probably so confident is Perez looked fantastic. Sergio looked fantastic. And again, if you look at the time sheet, he's, you know, he's like, he's a couple of seconds off of max, but ultimately I think a lot of that just goes back to the fact that he was running at a less optimal time of day. And when you reverse engineer the lap times, and if you reverse engineer the G's he was pulling in the corners, the times are pretty comparable. In fact, it's conceivable that if they were running together, he may have been outpacing max a little bit. So I think the team is ecstatic. And I think they feel very, very confident that the package they've brought and the driver lineup could help deliver them a constructors championship. And you know, you look at the last couple of years, that was never going to happen. You can't win a constructors when you have a driver consistently on the podium and the other driver in six, seven, eight, six, yeah. seven, eight, six, seven, eight. Like I, I think they have all the reason in the world to be, to be confident. And, To your point about the Mercedes thing, you know, we've seen this before. 2019, Ferrari comes in. uh, They're laying crazy lap times. Mercedes looks a little bit slow. But I think the main takeaway for me this weekend was the body language of Bottas and Hamilton. Like you, you made that fantastic comment about defeatist. Like it's one thing to read a quote and say, Hey, look, we've got lots of work to do. Um, Red Bull looks really good. But when you saw the video interviews, they looked defeated, man. And that was my biggest takeaway from the Mercedes camp. And I still have supreme confidence, but I was shocked to see that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's not something that we're used to seeing. I mean, we we like I, I was saying just now that uh, we've seen these certain instances over the years. I mean, Monaco, what was a couple of years ago, was was one where it, it was just an awful weekend, and they they just went back to the factory. They doubled down for for that two weeks, and they came back to Montreal, and they were they were better than ever, right? So it, it's just a really interesting because you have James Voles. He's talking about they have no idea what's causing with this the instability right. in the rear end, and uh, you know, like I said, uh, Bottas was saying, yeah, it was it was a decent uh, recovery or a decent uh, testing session. I mean, decent just does not really, you know, that's not really a word. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to Mercedes, decent is just not good enough. I mean, they are the gold standard. I mean, they have constantly reset the bar higher and higher and higher each and every year since 2014. So decent just doesn't cut it for these guys. And then, but just uh, more to your point, uh, what you're just talking about with, uh, you know, Sergio looking good, Max looking good, the the Red Bull looking good, and the Honda, you know, engine looking extremely strong. You have uh, Lewis saying that uh, they, that, that, uh, that the Red Bull is going to be a different animal this year. I, I think that uh, Mercedes, for the first time, is legitimately feeling some heat. I mean, I think they felt some heat a couple of years ago, especially in the first half of uh, 2018. But I think that was more during over the course of the season, once the, uh, the season got, got going and Seb's uh, racking up some wins here and there. And was uh, he was legitimately pushing uh, Lewis through the first yeah, two thirds of the season, definitely until uh, Monza, and then after that, the wheels fell off the whole t- title uh, challenge there. But I mean, I think that, uh, you know, due to the fact that Red Bull looks so strong in testing and they're they're struggling a little bit right now, I think that they're legit nervous going into the season next week. And I, and, I think and it's, they should be. Yeah, they should be. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think that uh, if you're, you know, you're a fan going into the season, you don't cheer for, you know, or, well, obviously, if you're not cheering for Mercedes, but I think just almost from a neutral point of view, you know, from Formula One's point of view, it's setting up to be a cracking opener in the desert uh, next weekend. I, I just can't absolutely wait it's going to be it's going to be great it's going to 
Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say, like, I just, I can't, I can't really uh, agree with you anymore. And I just, and I think what I'm struggling to wrap my head around is for the most car part, these cars are a carryover from last year. Like what, what did they do at the Mercedes factory to bring such an, and you know, I'm going to quote both Lewis and Valtteri here. The car has balance issues. It has handling issues. The rear end is a diva. And, and you know, and, and here, here's an interesting point as well. In three days of testing, Hamilton spun twice. Yeah. Hamilton doesn't spin. Like I just, I can't, I can't reconcile myself with what they did in the off season to bring this package. Like the power unit's going to be good. It's the the handling and the balance issue that to me is a little bit alarming. And you know what? I think oftentimes when a car shows up and it looks slow, but it's reliable and it's sticky and it stays on track, that's one thing because oftentimes they just turn up that power unit by the time they get to the first race. Mm-hmm. Power doesn't seem to be the issue. It seems to be, to your point, or handling and balance and everything else associated with keeping that car on the track. Well, you know what really fascinates me about this whole thing is that, uh, as you so rightly pointed out at the top of the show, that these cars are basically a carryover from last year. So, I mean, this is just a development on the W11. Yes. And the W11, they they said, this is the best car that we've ever built. <laughs> so, you know, that that's what strikes me as even more, you know, more bizarre are about the whole thing that uh, you know if this is just a de- development on this car that was supposedly the best one you ever built why all of a sudden you having just these fundamental issues it it really does not compute yeah i completely agree but uh to your point the i i think and we talked about this last week the best possible thing for the support or for the sport is to have a competitive championship this year and again we'll we'll talk about our protections or predictions next week i think lewis is still in a great position yeah. but i think red bull's got to be like you know, maybe we don't have a shot at the driver's title, but maybe the constructor's title is wide open. And what this is, what this is telling us is that if this or if the championship is as competitive as we hope and maybe think it's going to be, I think the pressure that's going to pile up on Lewis this year and on Valtteri is going to be obscene. And we already expect that, right? Like we talked about how Hamilton's contract situation is going to be a distraction, mm-hmm. but all of a sudden the, the pressure could be monumental. And it's really, except for kind of a kind of a brief period in 2018 and a brief period in 2019, the first time this team will have felt significant pressure since well, really ever. Ever, And yeah. the V8 hybrid, they had no expectations. So this might be the first time. Yeah, and it, that that really is another thing too. I mean, there, there's obviously, like you say, going to be those distractions with Hamilton's contract status. But you know, if if they can't perform to their own standards, and uh, you know they're they're not winning races and they're behind in in the championships, I mean, uh, talk about a field day for 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 the media and the speculation and and all the questions that are going to be asked of this team. It uh, it really is uh, you know it, it is it is quite unexpected. And I was just uh, looking through some of my notes here, and I, I thought it was interesting. Here you have uh, the track. Trackside engineering director Mercedes Andrew Shovlin, Andrew Shovlin, pardon me, who uh, said that uh, the, at the end of testing, after the three days, that their team's actual da- own data proves that they are at behind Red Bull on pace. And I'll just read what uh, Shovlin had to say because I think it's quite interesting. So he says, "Quote: We made a bit of progress with the balance on the higher fuel, and the car was more predictable. But we can see from the data we've coll- collected over the last few days that on race pace we're not as quick as Red Bull. The lower fuel work was a more confusing picture. We didn't gain enough, and we need to go and look at our approach as." Far too many cars were ahead of us on pace today. We had issues in recent years with uh, pace and winter testing and managed to make good progress before the first race, but we may have our work cut out uh, this time. Uh, We've not got long before we're back here for the race, so we've planned a program to try and work out and understand some of our issues, and we'll be leaving no stone unturned in our efforts to find some more speed over the next 10 days, end quote. 
So does, uh, you know, just reading between the lines there, there's going to be some, uh, obviously some serious overtime going on at the Mercedes uh, factory to try and and figure that out. But it, it really is, uh, it really is bizarre. I mean, I don't think that, uh, you know, I don't doubt for a second they'll get it, uh, you know, figured out. But, you know, it, I, I think it's just, uh, you know, a, a bit of an indicator now going into the season that we're already seeing the effects of the cost cap, obviously the reduced testing times, that, you know, you just don't have that opportunity. You don't have the benefit of uh, running out there as, oh, yeah, well, we had a bad day today. You know, we, we've got tomorrow or the day after that or the day after that. Well, no, you don't. <laughs> You've got three days and, and that's it. And then, uh, you know, you're going to have to go back and try and figure it out on the computer or else you're going to have to figure it out when you get back to the, the, the first race of the season. And it just, uh, you know, really adds another variable into the proceedings and uh, it could really shake things up. I, I mean, that, that, I mean, of course, this uh, goes has to be proven in the real world, but this whole co- cost cap thing and, uh, you know, it might just uh, prove that uh, to be the great equalizer because you just can't kind of spend your way and test your way out of issues now. You got to pretty much figure it out on the fly. You know, that's such a great point, right? Is this could be, and, and I'd never made that, even though I talked about the cost cap right off the top, I never <laughs> made that connection in my head that what we're seeing with Mercedes may very much be the cost cap tightening its grip on the sport already. And, you know, we, we talked about the fact as well that, hey, you know what, Mercedes had the least available time to run um, wind tunnel testing and CFD testing, computational fluid dynamics modeling in their computers. What we're seeing might be a direct offset of that, that the handling and balance issues could be related to aero that they weren't able to solve because they didn't have the time to do it. And mm-hmm. you know, in previous years, Mercedes may have just run a wind tunnel 24 hours a day, and they may have just had their CFD um, uh, server farms just running 24 hours a day, running every conceivable simulation. But no, 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 no. You won the championship. You get X time, and we're going to monitor that. And then all of a sudden, they're at a disadvantage because mm-hmm. if they have a problem that their engineers need to solve, they don't have the same reason resources to solve that problem that maybe another team does. So that's an awesome point. And if the cost caps designed to increase parity, this might be the first sign of that starting to happen, which is really, really uh, exciting. I don't know. It's it's definitely interesting. I mean, you you would think just for the the fact that everybody has the same amount of money to play with, but I mean, if yeah. you throw in some of these other factors as well, that you know, because of where you finished up in the championship, uh, limits of what you can and cannot do when it comes to certain areas. You know, the amount of time you have to to, to develop or, or work on certain areas. Yeah, I mean, every minute uh, literally counts. And if you can't get it done within your allotted time, then you know, sorry guys, but. Uh, you know, that's it, you know, try again next week or next month or however they, you know, they sort of dole out these uh, different things. But yeah, it it certainly adds a, a lot of different things, uh, you know, a lot of different factors into it. And I mean, I, I guess uh, there there are more than one ways that you can kind of introduce parity into the sport rather than just to what, what's happening with the cars on the track. And, and maybe that's what the sport is, uh, you know, maybe really missed or maybe didn't have the foresight to see in years gone past is some of these, uh, you know, I hate the term out of the box, but uh, you know, it is exactly that the out of the box thinking and approach to, okay, well, what can we do to, you know, promote parity in the team? Like what, what can we give the teams that, uh, that aren't doing as well? What can we give them in, uh, you know, other advantages if you uh, finish lower down the, the, the grid? Because I mean, if you finish lower down in the grid and, you know, you have teams like Williams that are only, you know, maybe getting a, a one or two points in the constructors and, you know, that's, uh, you know, a massive amount of money that, uh, that they're not, uh, you know, taking home 
home in prize money from the Constructors' Championship. So, I mean, they're taking double hits all over the place. So I'm glad to see that they've done, uh, you know, they've thought of other ways. But, hey, Mark, let's just take a, a quick break here. We'll come back. We'll pick it up in a, in a moment. And uh, we'll we'll keep uh, on going, talking about uh, the, the winner of what, what we like to call the Winter Championship here on the, uh, on the show. So don't go away, guys. We'll be back in just a moment. All right. Well, welcome back to the, the the show. And Mark, I had to chuckle a little a little bit earlier in the previous segment because you were sort of you didn't come out uh, outright and say it, but you you were sort of almost a uh, you know talking about uh, the the fact that basically everybody's a frenemy in uh, in Formula One. And I was thinking, you know, that nobody really comes out and says anything. I was just like, God, you know, you know what's missing from Formula One is some good old fashioned North American style trash talk. Go grab some guys from the NFL, the NBA. Well, maybe not hockey. Uh, I don't know how how good uh, hockey players are trash talking just i don't know get like five or ten guys in there and, and just get them to school formula one drivers and people you know get you know teach them some trash talk <laughs> i think it could liven up the sport a little bit uh, or, or maybe not but uh you know they're, they're but like you say everybody tends to be uh you know tends to agree with each other a little bit uh, too much and uh i don't know maybe you can get the lights of uh, richard sherman from the uh, <laughs> san francisco 49ers he's, he's always been fairly outspoken you know get some guys like that over that uh, it would lend a little bit more color to the sport or maybe i'm completely wrong anyway so where should we take it from here my friend uh, you know what? I would love if if we have the opportunity, and I think we've done a really good job of kind of kind of reflecting on the Mercedes performance. And again, yeah. I, I want to be clear that if Mercedes shows up this coming weekend, um, and they are not this coming weekend, next weekend, and they look dominant, don't be surprised. But I think what we've shown or we've seen this last weekend is there might be some cracks and that that cost cap might be tightening its grip a little bit. But I think the one team that I would love to be able to talk about a little bit is is McLaren. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, I'm just hydrating here. <laughs> you, you kind of cut off a little bit before I was ready. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, McLaren is uh, one of these teams that um, I, I think we obviously should be looking at uh, this uh, th- this year, because I mean the big thing is they've uh, they, they've uh, gotten away from the Renault engines. They're going back uh, to uh, partner with a uh, Mercedes, which they obviously enjoyed a mega successful uh, period in their in, in their history when they had that uh, partnership uh, some time ago. But the thing is, they they came off a very successful 2020 finish fourth in the championship and I mean the signs have kind of been there over the previous year 18 months or so but last year I think they were a real revelation I thought that uh, they they really did well uh, both Carlos Sainz and Lando Norris maybe didn't really grab the headlines a lot but they I mean from start to finish in what was a bizarre year to begin with in the middle of a pandemic I think they did really well but the the, you know, the question is how are they going to do this year I mean uh, you know we, we like I said they've got the switch the new uh, the, the new power unit and it just kind of uh, you know makes you wonder how is everybody around them going to compare? I mean, they've kind of come out of uh, you know out of nowhere. They've really surprised people with this very innovative, innovative uh, diffuser that they're running, which uh, they said that they're really surprised that nobody else kind of caught on to. Which kind of takes me back more than a decade to the debut of uh, Braun GP and that uh, double floor, or whatever they were running back in two thousand and nine, yep. which uh, really caught everybody by surprise. And you know there was a lot of questions about the legality about that back then as there were some questions about this uh, diffuser design the McLaren are having and you know ultimately it was all decided you know in both cases that uh, everybody realized it was legal and I you know I like that you know I, I love it when teams are able to come up with designs like this that uh, are completely unexpected you know it's really you know it's showing a lot of ingenuity 
especially in this new era of Formula One in the cost cap era. You got to be a little bit more creative with uh, what you've got. And uh, they, they've certainly found a way to make this work. But the big question is, uh, you know, th- they could be have a quicker car than last year, but uh, depending on what uh, everyone else uh, does around them, you know, they, they may or may not be as, success- as successful as they were in 2020. Absolutely. And the question is going to be this coming season, was 2020 a fluke, right? This was yeah. a team that finished third in the constructors. And we've talked so much about the fact that they benefited possibly more than anybody by the Ferrari performance. They benefited by the fact that uh, Aston Martin Racing Point had points taken away from them, that they had some soft performances, that Lance had COVID and had a couple of tough weekends. They yeah. benefited by a lot of things. But that said, you, you can't take away the performance that they did have. My, my takeaway from their performance this past weekend was very, very positive. This was a team that put in, I think, about 325, 330 laps. Not not a ton um, by, by any measure, but I think a lot of that was by design, that they were looking more at the technical and data consumption angle of the weekend as opposed to just putting in a ton of laps for the sake of putting in laps. They also did get some time at Silverstone shortly after they launched the car back in February. So they had a lot of data coming into this weekend. So this weekend wasn't as critical to McLaren as it was a lot of of other teams that haven't had a car on the track yet this winter. Um, and I think that one of the bigger questions for them was you're taking a car that was fundamentally designed 18 months ago for a Renault power unit and you wedged a Mercedes power unit in it. What is that marriage going to look like? And, and I think that the answer is it looked exceptional. The car looked great. It balanced well. The feedback from both Nando and Daniel regarding the performance of the car in the corners, out of corners, how they were able to rotate the rear end, all of the feedback from them about the car was very, very, very positive. Power delivery looked good. Um, I think that ultimately we, we probably respect the fact that this is still possibly the most powerful power unit on the grid. I guess it's ultimately going to depend on how that Honda unit looks the first weekend at Bahrain, but ultimately the package looks good. The drivers look good. They were consistent. They didn't make mistakes and they didn't have any reliability issues. So I think they're in a really good position to be competitive. Once again, I think the one big question is that the the midfield, and I, I'd seen this quote and I can't remember who said it, but the midfield has now just become the field. Yes. Right? Yeah. Like you, yeah. You have maybe I one saw or that two quote too. At the top. Yeah. 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 One or two teams at the bottom. So you've kind of got Mercedes and Red Bull up here. You've got Haas and Williams down here. And then you've got this group of six teams in the middle and almost anything can happen. But ultimately, I was really, really impressed with McLaren and the package that they showed up with. They just look organizationally in a really, 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 really great place right now. That that Mercedes power unit bolted to that existing chassis that's an incredible engineering feat and it's funny because and we talked about this so many times we've seen this before right where a mercedes power unit is bolted to a chassis that was designed for somebody else's engine (laughs) we saw that with braun and we know how successful that was but i i'm incredibly optimistic for what this season could look like i'm not suggesting they're going to win races but i think they're going to have a flurry of podiums throughout the year that would be really exciting because uh, we, we were talking earlier in the show and quite rightly about uh, how strong Red Bull came out of the test. I mean, I, I think you got to have to give, uh, you know, an honorable mention or runner up to, to uh, McLaren because, you know, the car looks good. The engine obviously looks good. And I, I think that they've got an extremely strong uh, driver pairing in Danny Ricardo and uh, and Lando Norris. I mean, uh, Lando, I think, is in a great uh, position. He's coming off two very strong years, uh, you, know, you know, starting out in Formula One, you know, partnering up uh, with a guy that's uh, been in Formula One for quite some time. He's won races. He's, uh, you know, Ricardo's a proven quantity uh, in, in Formula One. We know what he's uh, he's all about. 
And uh, I'm really excited uh, to, to see what this team can do this year because they really have uh, you know gone in the right direction over the past uh, couple of years. I mean, th- th- this is a fundamentally different uh, team than the Fernando Alonso and uh, what was his name, uh, Boulier, when he was uh, at the team and uh, and the Honda engines back in 2015. I mean, I mean they they've made you know you know changes right at the you know foundational levels and they've they've put such you know pointed such good people in key areas of this team and and slowly but surely we've seen them uh, you know really reap the rewards of that but of course i mean like you say now and i saw that same quote now it stood out at the time and i can't remember who said it but uh, it seemed fascinating to me that the midfield is now just a field and uh, i think that could be extremely uh, exciting to watch and i i think also too what uh, what should be exciting to see and interesting to see is if you know if you have your front runners which which we assume are going to be Mercedes and Red Bull at the moment how far is that gap going to be to the best of the rest or in this case just the rest right and then of course I guess the wild card in this one is uh, going to be Ferrari you know where are they going to line up in here but I I think that uh, McLaren you know, really gets uh, you know a, you know a special mention uh, coming out of winter testing and uh, it it certainly is uh, it's going to be a, an interesting one to watch because I mean they could have a better car and uh, they could uh, potentially not finish as good as they did last year or maybe better but uh, I mean I, I think uh, what what you're saying there is that if they do end up with a, like you say a flurry of podiums this year I think that would be uh, exciting it would be great to see them back up there and I, I think uh, both of these guys uh, Norris and uh, Ricardo are probably just licking their chops and just ready to jump in that car and fire it up uh, when the lights go green next weekend I, I think they're ready to go I think uh, they, they look great The one thing I want to add about McLaren before we move on as well is they've done all of this against a backdrop of financial crisis. The the McLaren road car division, the the enterprise as a whole has been going through a financial crisis. So the fact that the business has been able to separate the F1 operations team and make sure that it's as Teflon and isolated and insulated as possible from everything else that's going on in the company has been has been fantastic. And and again, the company's hemorrhaged cash. They've had to sell, they've had to sell their 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 famous Woking factory and go through a leaseback agreement. They've had to borrow a ton of cash from the Bahraini government like they've done had to do some pretty drastic steps to keep to keep liquid through all of this but ultimately the fact that they've been able to insulate f1 operations and allow them to continue to build and not stagnate and not suffer as a result of the financial pressures the organization have been feeling is is fantastic so totally agree they they've got the right people and key roles making the right decisions and, and i can't wait to see how this uh turns out during the uh the season yeah absolutely it uh you know it it's it, it is good to see them getting back to where you expect them to be because you know, I mean, we grew up in an era when they were dominant in the 1980s and the 1990s and the early 2000s. And then it is just, uh, I mean, it, the, the decline was kind of like long and over, over a protracted period of time. But, you know, coming into that, uh, you know, the, the, the turbo hybrid era and then, you know, especially, and I don't want to take anything away from Honda. I mean, they, they just uh, came to the, uh, you know, the, the V6 turbo hybrid era later than everyone else. I mean, Mercedes obviously came into it more prepared than everybody else uh, you know in, in in 2014 i mean they were so much ahead of the game than, than say ferrari or renault were at the time and you know they spent a significant time obviously preparing for that as well i mean honda you know they came in a little bit later and uh, they started the you know their their program uh, later on but uh, i mean certainly it was it seemed at the time like uh, that the, the mclaren honda revival was uh, going to be you know a real thing and obviously turned out uh, to be otherwise and 
you know, let's not forget. I mean, in all these, uh, you know, the, you know the, these, um, you know, costs uh, issues and financial issues that they face. I mean, when when they broke that deal with Honda a couple of years ago, what what did it cost them? Was it a hundred million pounds, hundred million bucks? I mean, either way you shake it. I mean, that's a heck of a lot of money. I mean, and then you put into it on top of it uh, all the uh, you know the cost to run a Formula One program, and then you have a pandemic and a, an ec- economic crisis on top of it, and all those other things that um, that uh, that you just mentioned. I mean, I'd love to go to that uh, you know to their headquarters in Woking. I mean, you say, I mean, it looks like such a fantastic building, but to be able to walk in there, sort of along that uh, that walk of fame, if you want to call it, and all those historical cars they have there. I mean. It just makes me salivate uh, just just thinking about that. That that's got to be something I got to do it uh, at some point one of these days when we're uh, you know able to travel again and go to some of these uh, places we all want to. But uh, certainly uh, one worth uh, checking out. Now I want to talk. Uh, I just want to get this uh, one rolling uh, right now before we go into our next break in a couple of minutes, uh, Mark. But I, I think uh, one that uh, really stood out in winter testing was just how much Aston Martin were off the pace. I mean, oh. Lance and, uh, and and Seb were like. Six, six and a half, seven seconds off the pace. I mean, uh, you know, th- th- this is something that uh, that, that even uh, you know Williams uh, <laughs> haven't sunk to those uh, lows in uh, some of their darker years in recent times. What was your takeaway from from Aston Martin over uh, the the testing? Well, thank you for asking. I, I think my my biggest concern is reliability. Um, and you know what? I've, I've made a couple of notes here. They had gearbox issues, they had electrical issues, and they had turbo issues. Um, none of those are good signs. Lance managed to put in considerably more laps. I think he put in about 200 laps in total. Um, I, I think his teammate, oh my gosh, I think his teammate put in maybe a fraction of that. Vettel was really bitten ultimately by the the reliability bug, and he, of all drivers, needed to get some significant time in this car. It's his first time with the car. It's the first time with a Mercedes power unit. He desperately, desperately needed those laps, and he just didn't get them, which is really, really, really unfortunate. But I think my biggest concern was, despite a couple of flashes from Lance when he hooked up a couple of hot sectors, it didn't look good. And again, I don't want to read a lot into this, but I think coming out of last season and this team had so much momentum and they had a race victory. This was a really disappointing, disappointing weekend. Um, and the reliability piece for me is the single biggest concern. That said, you and I haven't talked about Aston. Your thoughts? Are, are you in panic mode? Because I know you and I were both so excited about them. Or are you being a little <laughs> bit more, a little bit more cautious about the, about the performance they put down? Well, yeah, I, I mean, uh, I'll, I'll be honest. I was uh, very excited. Uh, you know, uh, had a lot of high hopes uh, for this team coming into uh, the, the the year. But I don't want to hit the panic alarm, the the, the panic button uh, just yet. I mean, certainly it was a very disappointing uh, you know outing for them in Bahrain at that test session. I mean, based on what we've seen, especially last year in their 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 final year's racing points. I mean, um, they, they went out on a high note, obviously with uh, with Sergio winning that race right at the very end of the year. So to see some of these uh, struggles that they have with the AMR21, um, yeah, it, it was underwhelming. It was concerning, but uh, you know, you hear some of the co- you know the, some of the quotes from from Lance and from from Seb that uh, you know they're not ready to panic uh, just yet. I mean, obviously, it wasn't uh, the ideal start that they wanted, and I, I just. Um, I just worry whether or not uh, this lack of time is going to, to, you know, to, to really impact them more. I mean, you, you can work through some of these issues, you can figure them out, but it's just the, you know, the opportunity that, uh, you know, the, the, the missed time on the track that, uh, you know, I, I really worry about getting that real world data is really going to hurt them. And we'll, we'll talk about that uh, in just a, in a moment here. We're just going to head into another break. So uh, please hang on, guys. We'll be back in just a moment to talk about Aston Martin in a little bit more detail. 
All right. Well, welcome back to the show. And uh, we're talking uh, winter testing. We're talking Aston Martin and some of the issues uh, that uh, they obviously had. So, you know, one of the quotes that um, that that uh, I saw from uh, from Lance was he said that um, Seb was being what he said very wise with his feedback about uh, the the car. So my my immediate uh, reaction to that was um, <laughs> Seb just not wanting to be uh, you know too overly critical uh, right away, or was it more to the fact that uh, you know his comments were a lot more accurate, maybe precise about some of the issues. Anyways, uh, Lance had to say, "quote He's very knowledgeable when it comes to the behavior of the car, what he wants from the car, and his comments." are just very wise. He has a lot of experience and is a very talented driver, obviously. It's still early days, uh, though. I'm sure I'll get to know him much better in the next few weeks when we start to go racing and when we're on the track uh, at the same time doing similar programs. We'll probably be able to relate to, to each other's comments and give our feedback and also have a much better idea of what we're both talking about. So I think, uh, you know, that uh, it was obviously a really catchy title, but I, I think that, uh, you know, what, what Lance is uh, just, uh, you know, talking about is maybe that uh, initial exposure of uh, being around a guy that is as experienced as is knowledgeable and uh, you know a proven winner in Sebastian Vettel. Yeah, I completely agree. And this is something that we've alluded to in the past as well, which is, you know, what was the motivation for Lawrence Stroll to bring Sebastian Vettel to this team? And I think you and I had concluded, or at least I'd kind of rammed this down your throat, which was the the concept that Vettel brings a professionalism and an expertise to the mm -hmm. sport that maybe maybe Lance hasn't necessarily been exposed to before and that the presence of Vettel would help the team accelerate their development of the car through really valid, valid technical, tactical feedback based on his experiences driving it, but also that Lance could in turn learn from Vettel. And I think that's maybe what we're already beginning to see, because if you flash back, like you look at 2017, Lance is paired with Felipe Massa. And by all accounts, Massa wasn't happy to be there. He didn't want to be there. He planned to retire at the end of 16. He kind of got looped back into the car because Bottas went to Mercedes. 2018, Lance is paired up with Sergei Sorokin right? Like another rookie driver. So there was nothing to learn from 2018. And then it's kind of just been a weird mishmash since then. Yeah. I think, I think Perez is a great driver. He's a professional. I don't know that he was necessarily in a position to educate and train and mentor Lance, but I think, and we've talked about this before, it's pretty well understood that Vettel came to this team with the understanding that we need you to help us develop the car. We need you to help us develop our young driver. And yeah. I think he's probably going to be able to do both of those things. But I, again, I, I'm very, I'm disappointed about the weekend. I mean, this is a team as well that has a very different car than the year prior. Um, so, so much as the, the regulations allow, right? This is a team that adopted the 2020 Mercedes rear suspension. So the back end of the car is very different. The way they rotate the car is very different. The way that they balance the car into a corner, the way they bring the car out of a corner, all of this is very different. And then they also spent their tokens on the chassis. Mm -hmm. So they brought a very, very different car to preseason testing and they concluded the season with an Abu Dhabi a couple of months ago. So for me, it's it's a little bit nervous. It's not like, hey, we brought a leftover from last year. We just happened to have a bad weekend. It's just we have a different car and a new driver, and we didn't put in the laps that we wanted to put in. I, I'm a little bit a little bit nervous for this team. 
Yeah, well, I mean, uh, Seb even said himself that he feels that he was lacking up to 100 laps of uh, test mileage. I mean, you just just uh, do the math there. I mean, that is, uh, you know, obviously a significant amount of laps and, uh, you know, quite uh, a lot of uh, distance in testing. And, uh, you know, uh, it was interesting, too, because uh, Seb himself was saying that, uh, that uh, you know, he, he seems he seems pretty chill about it. I mean, he said younger Seb would be uh, panicking <laughs> right now. I'll just read this quote because I think it's uh, interesting. Uh, Seb had to say, quote, I'm not too preoccupied. Maybe it's the age. Maybe it's the experience. But probably 10 years ago, I would finally panic now. But then again, if I were to panic now, would it help? Probably not. We are just trying to do our things and use the time we now have. We still have uh, some running. And for me, it was super, super useful, the, the laps on the final day. So it could be worse. It could be better, but it could be worse. So I think it's about remaining calm, doing one thing at a time and moving forward when it's time to, end quote. So I, I think there, that there's probably a, a couple of things in, in that quote there. I think obviously it's experience. I think it's obviously age. And uh, just realizing, I mean, hey, time is uh, is limited. They they obviously, it wasn't the situation that they wanted, but they they they've got something it's it's obviously not the amount of distance the amount of data that they wanted or the amount of time out on track but they got to take what they have and see what they can make uh, make use of it but um, you know i'm yeah I, like you i'm a little bit uh, nervous for them i'm a little bit uh, concerned that uh, perhaps maybe the, the the direction that they went into was maybe a little bit too aggressive maybe a little bit too drastic and uh well, I mean, time will only tell whether or not that was the the, the correct decision to make, and their you know their their design uh, and and uh, you know their their I guess their whole theory, their ethos uh, for for this year. I mean, Ralph Schumacher, uh, obviously a well known name in in Formula One, Michael's younger brother, and you know also a, a, a German, obviously. Um, you know, he was talking about his countryman Sebastian Vettel. He said he felt pity for him about the, the rough time he had at uh, the the Bahrain Winter Test, and uh, he's a little bit nervous for uh, Seb going in. Into the season opener uh, next uh, ne- next week. So, the uh, <laughs> what what Ralph had to say. This is going to be a tough weekend. So obviously not a man of a, a lot of words, but um, certainly I think, uh, you know, that's short, but uh, very concise and to the point, uh, it's going to be a tough weekend. And, uh, you know, when you have a rough test like uh, they had at Aston Martin, it's going to be tough to recover from that quickly. Yeah. I don't know if I could ever feel pity for somebody that's won four drivers titles and four <laughs> constructors titles. Yeah, no kidding, but, right? But but I I kind of get I kind of get his point. And you know what? I I unfortunately in my head a lot of times I start to project scenarios. So I'm like, oh my god, they had a bad weekend. They're gonna have a bad season by the second month of the year, by the second month of the calendar. The Hawks are gonna be all over Aston. They're gonna be all over Vettel. They're gonna be questioning whether this is the right thing. And I don't see any reason to be optimistic for the first weekend and you know we talked about the fact that they won't be bringing power unit upgrades at any point during the season so that's never going to be an option that's never going to be their escape from whatever woes they're facing um it's really just going to be can we fix our reliability issues and can Vettel ultimately adapt to the car to put in the sectors and link up the sectors to put in enough fast laps to get some points and win some races or at least get some podiums and that at this point we haven't seen enough and and i just i i Again, I don't feel pity for Vettel, but I feel bad, right? Like the only driver that put in fewer laps than him was Roy Nassani at Williams. And that's because he had one session on the first day of of winter testing. And Vettel is a full-time driver that had three sessions over three days. And he still only put in 117 laps. And again, it's not his fault. There were some reliability issues here. But 
damn, he needed that time in the car because the next time he's going to be in the car is free practice one and it's going to be at the same track. So they don't get this excuse that, hey, you know what? We were at Circuit Catalonia and now we're Mm -hmm. flying off to Australia and it's a different atmosphere. Everyone's rebooted. It's the same track. It's the same experiences. It's the same temperature. It's the same humidity. So I'm I'm a little bit nervous. Uh, Less so about the car because I think they can I think they can bring the package together it's just I'm a little bit nervous for how quickly Vettel can adapt to this car given the fact that the next time he's going to be in it is going to be a timed practice session yeah I mean it's a, it's a pretty radically different to what he's uh, been used to at uh, Ferrari for the past uh, several years I mean uh, not only is it uh, you know different to the, the the car that they had last year at Racing Point I mean it's uh, it's, it's it's a whole bunch of unknowns and just to, to miss out on that uh, you know what, what he really needed in terms of mileage could be a, a significant uh, handicap uh, going into the season but yeah you know it is what it is uh, un- unfortunately but uh, talking about uh, Sebastian's old team Ferrari mm-hmm. uh, they, you know they keep saying that uh, or they're saying now that uh, straight line speed is no longer a disadvantage so you know it, it is quite interesting I mean we, we've speculated about this uh, quite a bit uh, over the past uh, several weeks ever since that interesting comment about uh, you know the whole situation <laughs> at uh, Ferrari that kind of slipped out in that twitch stream uh, from, from Mika Salo anyways I know it's become become like our favorite thing to talk Talk about speculate about over the past uh, two three weeks or whatever it was, but uh, Mattia Bonato, the team principal at uh, Ferrari, said that uh, they could see uh, what he says a noticeable gain in straight line speed uh, compared to, uh, to to last year. And uh, Bonato had to say, "Quote: uh, We know how the engine is running at the dyno, but when you fit it on the car, what you may have to look at on the track is the speed and eventually the relative speed to the others." When we were here last year in Bahrain uh, for the race and qualifying, we've been slow here on the straights. We didn't enter into Q3, and we were very distant from pole. Now, if I look at the data, I think at least on the speed on the straight, uh, the speed is all right. There does not me- seem to be much disadvantage as it last as it was last year. We know it's not only power, but uh, it's a drag of the car as well, uh, as we often said last year. But let me say it's uh, both contributed in improving our speed on the straights. Today, we feel there's not any more a disadvantage, end quote. Well, I mean, a couple of things. I mean, of course, they've gone with this high downforce model on the Ferrari over the past couple of years. I mean, the engine was obviously down on power. I mean, we, we, we've... Uh, I, I think we've beat that one into the ground by now speculating what those were, but it is interesting for whatever uh, you know reason that uh, that they believe that that uh, that straight line speed is back, and where they're going to factor back into the equation, I think is uh, you know it's one of the big unknowns coming into the season because this is a team that sorely underperformed uh, last year. I mean, they really didn't start uh, getting back to some sort of. Well, I mean, they weren't really uber competitive, but um, they, they really seem to have maybe have broken out of that funk by, I, I want to say, maybe by about the time they got to the Nürburgring. I mean, the, the, the first third or sorry, half, maybe even two thirds of the season were, were pretty bleak for them. Yeah. And overshadowed. So we, we've talked about, and I, you nailed this, like we've talked to no ends about the challenges that they had from a power unit perspective. We've talked about what our belief is that what may have been driving that. Um, and we don't need to get into that right now, but really Ferrari had two problems to solve coming into the season. One was they needed to make up that power deficit versus the rest of the field. But two last year's car was really draggy. And this yeah. is something that Vettel talked about a lot last year. And it wasn't a kind of a critical way, but when he was asked like, Hey, you know what? We have two problems to solve one. We're way down on power. So we get crushed in the straight. 
straights. And if we're on a track with any high speed straights, we have no ability to compete. But two, the car's also super, super draggy. So we lose additional power because our aerodynamics are so far off. And I think what Matteo Bonato and Ferrari are really confident of is A, we feel that we've solved the power issue. And let's be very clear, at winter testing last year, Ferrari's power deficit was immediate on day one. It wasn't mm-hmm. like, hey, you know what? They look a little slow. And then it was obvious come the first race weekend. No, it was obvious from the first day of winter testing last year that something was wrong with that car. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think I think they feel good. And, you know, Matteo Bonato had said during the race weekend or just this past weekend, it's like, hey, look, our straight line speed is, quote unquote, not any more of a disadvantage that they they feel they've solved that as a problem. And they feel that they've made some pretty significant changes um, to the aerodynamics of the car to reduce that drag effect. The other good news story potentially is and Charles Leclerc talked about this when he was interviewed this week is he feels that. The atmosphere around the team is dramatically improved. So last year, obviously, you had that crushing emotional blow of being uncompetitive for the first time in many years. And then you had the whole Sebastian Vettel story that kind of hung over the team the entire year as well, which is you have this senior driver that's not going to be with the team next year, but he's traveling with you to every single race weekend. So it sounds like they have a better package. They have a better power unit. And to Charles Leclerc's point, the team atmosphere is just ultimately better now. I I don't know what it's going to look like on the track. I think they're going to be relatively reliable. I don't know if they're going to be competing for race wins, but I think they're going to be right in that mix for three, four, five, if they're able to bring it all together for uh, for the season. Yeah, it certainly is interesting too what that internal dynamic was uh, in the team last year. What with uh, Vettel basically, you know, riding out, uh, it was garbage time for him, right? I mean, he was uh, yes. basically there just, uh, you know, just uh, doing his thing. I mean, he he didn't publicly call them out. He wasn't lamenting or whining or complaining or anything like that. But I mean, at the very least, it must have been uh, you know a strange dynamic uh, within the team and uh, and all those things, and plus with all the issues that uh, that, that they were facing. But you know, just before we go into our final break here, Mark, I, th- I think that uh, it's kind of interesting too. Just uh, not only do you have uh, Bonato saying that uh, that the engine is better and uh, that it, you know that that uh, disadvantage they had with the straight line speed is uh, not a not an issue anymore. You have uh, Kimi Raikkonen, who's at uh, Alfa Romeo, and they're obviously uh, you know a Ferrari partner team, and they have uh, the Ferrari power. Unit. When they asked Kimmy this week uh, what he thought about the, uh, the 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 new Ferrari engine for this year or the upgraded Ferrari engine, they said, "What do you think about it?" He said, "It's better." And you know, <laughs> high praise, yeah, high praise, praise <laughs> man of uh, you know uh, many many words. And on that note, let's just go into our final break here, and we'll start wrapping up the show on the other side. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show uh, for one more time uh, this week. And uh, we've, uh, well, we've pretty much covered a, a you know, pretty wide spectrum of things. And I, I really don't know how to finish off that uh, previous segment than with a classic Kimmy quote. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, he, he really is, uh, you know, I'm, he's kind of muted and understated, but uh, he always seems to nail it whenever uh, <laughs> he gets it out there. Anyways, let's move away from uh, winter testing now. Let, let's look at some of the other things that may be going on on the back end of of, uh, Formula One in the background. I thought this was kind of a cool uh, story, but apparently uh, Silverstone is going to give away a whole pile of Formula One and MotoGT, uh, MotoGP tickets uh, to uh, key workers that have helped out and done their thing throughout the uh, the, the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. I thought that was uh, pretty cool. So they're giving away, or they've allocated up to 10,000 tickets uh, to give away uh, for the, uh, the the British Grand Prix, the MotoGP uh, race, and the Silverstone uh, Gla- uh, Classic, which is all uh, scheduled uh, for the end of July, beginning of 
of uh, August. Uh, so I, I think this is a pretty cool, uh, you know, way to, to to give back to some of those people that have uh, been out there working hard and putting themselves in harm's way over the past years. We've uh, you know all been through this uh, obviously very very horrible time. Yeah, I think it's a fantastic gesture. I, I think it's meaningful. I like the fact that they posted that, you know, we could be giving away as many as 10,000 tickets. Uh, I, I don't think it's easy for Canadians to relate, but motorsport runs so much deeper in the fabric of the culture in the UK that yeah. this is something that's very, very meaningful, whether it's MotoGP or Open Wheel Formula One, that the passion for motorsports is fantastic. So I think this is this is great. Um, it's good for them. And I think some really deserving frontline workers are going to the opportunity to hopefully get up and close with some of their Formula One and MotoGP uh, heroes um, over the course of the next couple of months. I thought that was a great news story. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think it is also a stark contrast to the vaccination program in the United Kingdom compared to Canada, where I think we've, uh, I checked uh, the stats, I think we've now vaccinated nine people from coast to coast. So (laughs) we've got our work cut out uh, in the weeks and months ahead. And my God, I'm going to go bang my head as soon as we get off, (laughs) uh, get off the air here this uh, this evening. But uh, anyways, um, I want to talk about this one now because we've got an email that goes uh, with this one. So the cost cap, uh, you know, going back to the cost cap, which we kind of led into this uh, whole discussion about winter testing but uh, apparently this is uh, coming into this whole sprint race uh, thing and i think we, we may have briefly uh, touched on it uh, but you know that you know of course they're uh, pushing ahead with the uh, this experiment of the sprint races that we're going to see at uh, you know over a couple of races uh, this year to see if this can actually be a thing and uh, you know we, we've uh, we've wondered how this uh, might thing and or how this uh, might turn out of course and one of the the things that they really need to sort out is the the potential of a uh, financial consequences that uh, teams might have to uh, face and, and put up with is the the extra you know costs associated with the, with one of their cars being damaged in one of these uh, sprint races and all the you know all the extra costs associated with uh, running an extra you know an extra race on uh, on, on a race weekend so I, I think this is uh, you know really really interesting I think it's maybe something that uh, nobody really thought about uh, before and of course every time you get a car out on the track that uh, there's always a potential that something could happen I mean be it uh, you know an engine blow or an accident or losing a front wing or something like that and of course nothing that goes on to uh you know or nothing is cheap in formula one now all those bits that go on the car are extremely extremely expensive so i think this is an interesting discussion to have yeah you know it's something i had failed to really consider as well and i think to compound the issue is we already have a 23 race calendar and potentially we're going to add four more competitive events to that to that to that mix like yeah, it's it's a really really interesting thought, and certainly not one that I had considered ultimately. Um, but I, I I'm going to be curious to see how the sport reconciles this. And I'm if if the sprint races happen and they're successful, I'm really curious to see how they're integrated into the calendar in subsequent seasons and the frequency with which they're mixed. Is is this something that Formula One hopes to introduce to every race weekend, or to to the point that we talked about a couple of weeks ago? Could these be majors where you see it three or four times a year at premium events? Um, I, I, I'm very, very curious. I don't have any answers, but I'm very, very curious. But to your earlier point as well, like when we've been talking excitedly about the prospect of sprint race weekends, never once have I talked about the consequences to the teams from a financial resource availability perspective. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's something that uh, completely, I think, uh, flew underneath the radar. I, you know, neither of us uh, picked up on it. But, you know, it's interesting, too. We had a, 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 an interesting email just to I'm, I'm going to lead into it. I mean, this is more about the format of um, the, the, the whole sprint race thing rather 
rather than these uh, sort of these uh, unexpected costs and financial consequences that uh, might arise. So this is uh, from Matthew Kroll, uh, weighing in from uh, Madison, Wisconsin. He says, hey, guys, love the podcast. I like the sprint race idea, but it seems that uh, something has been overlooked. I'm involved in asphalt circle track racing and the local tracks will use a set invert for the feature. We see this in dirt racing as well. There have been uh, discussions of reverse grids in Formula One, but I haven't heard anyone mention a top six or a top 10 invert. I think this uh, could uh, create some additional strategy. I don't want to see a full reverse grid, but a six to 10 car invert for the sprint race for the Grand Prix could work. Curious on your thoughts. You know, I, I think it's interesting. I think that is a you know a fascinating idea. I mean, we, we've talked about it uh, you know uh, you know quite a few times, and both of us are completely hundred percent against the whole one hundred percent flipped reverse grid. But I think this is a you know an interesting concept that Matt's uh, you know touched on here that uh, maybe flipping the top six or perhaps the top ten cars, you know, if that's something that uh, that works in other races, you know, other forms of uh, racing that that uh, I think it's a fascinating that uh, you know perhaps. You could kind of throw that uh, that that uh, that that wrench in there. I mean, obviously, you're going to have some cars that uh, you know flip the top ten. I mean, the tenth car is you know theoretically slower than the first car, and could really shake things up uh, you know uh, you know quite, quite a bit. I mean, of course, you run the risk of uh, maybe something making something too complicated, but you know, I, I think there's you know, there's there's something in this. Yeah. First of all, thank you, Matthew, for the email. Much appreciated. From Madison, Wisconsin, shout out Milwaukee Bucks, Milwaukee Brewers, <laughs> and the Green Bay Packers. Uh, I'm sure you're a, a big sports fan. It, it's also kind of curious where where we're, we're finding these Formula One fans pop up, right? Like you you wouldn't normally kind of associate uh, Wisconsin or Illinois or Minnesota with open wheel racing fans, maybe a little bit of IndyCar, but it also shows the reach that the sport's starting to have. Yeah. And hopefully for the sake of, uh, for Matt, uh, we get Formula One back in Indianapolis one day because that's a that's a road trip that I think is doable as opposed to Austin from Wisconsin. But again, thank you so much for the email. And I think that's a, a really great idea. Um, I also like to see that this is an individual and he kind of speaks to his past experience with asphalt circle tracks and local dirt tracks. But that's an interesting concept. And I think it's something I'd have to see um, simulated to get a sense of how it could translate in the real world, but I think it's a really, really cool idea. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And just uh, you know, talking about the uh, some of the demographics uh, for the listeners of this show. I mean, you know, we've never targeted uh, geographically or any specific age group or anything like that. But over fifty percent of our listeners to the podcast are from the, the from the USA, and then you have Canada, the UK, Australia. Really? Yeah. But uh, you know the 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 amount that uh, that uh, that uh, the the base of our listeners are in the USA is absolutely uh, amazing. I mean, we all know how crazy Americans are about cars, are about sports. But the fact that just sort of organically from you know th- that this uh, you know this massive base of American listeners has kind of grown up on on its own was really quite uh, surprising, and it's it's pretty cool. And you know, I I think more to the point, it uh, it really demonstrates at least in the you know the the small market share that uh, that. That we have on the show here that I mean there is a definite interest in Formula One in the, the United States and I mean obviously that's why Liberty's looking at this race in Miami and we, we've heard possibly of a maybe a third race right. maybe you know, Long Beach New York wh- you know whatever it might be or even go back to Indy if that uh, could ever be an option again 
I mean, that that is something that, uh, you know, definitely, uh, you know, they, they need to, uh, you know, to, to explore and try to, you know, to, to, to grow more. Because like I said, I mean, I won't be 100% convinced that Formula One is really a thing in the United States and Canada until I walk into my 7-Eleven and a life-size oh, cardboard cutout of Lewis is trying to sell me a Diet Pepsi or Twinkies or you know, whatever it might yep. be or a case of uh, Miller Lite. Yeah, you know, th- then I'll know that, uh, that that Formula One really is a thing. But I mean, th- there's definite interest in the sport. Uh, so, so two points on that. First, yeah. one, it's now clear to me why you made me sign a contract forcing me not to talk about U.S. politics on the air. So now I understand why I had to sign that contract in blood. Uh, but two, now I feel like a bit of a chump too, because I always talk about North American sports, of which I am a diehard fan, in the most condescending way, as if all of our listeners are European and they have no idea what the NBA is, whereas most of our listeners probably have an intimate knowledge of the collective bargaining agreement and the mid-level exception in the NBA. And here I am talking about the You've been NBA talking the down to the these people. Like, <laughs> You've been talking down to our audience. They, they probably know it as good as or better than either of us do but uh, oh yeah, yeah totally yeah yeah no it, it's 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 pretty cool to see where the, the you know the, the most of the listeners are i haven't really you know, dived in, in into it in a detail to see you know if there's one sort of geographic hotspot in the country where where people are listening more but uh certainly it's a, it, it's a pretty cool thing uh to see all right i just want to go on to the last couple of uh stories that uh that i'd uh, picked out to, to look at uh this week uh one of them is uh and i know this is uh one that uh, we often Obviously, have uh, some pretty mixed uh, feelings about is this uh, you know this night race that's going to take place in Saudi Arabia next year for the you know the obvious uh, you know human rights issues that uh, they you know that uh, that are associated with the the, the country. But you know it, it, this story is out there. They've revealed uh, what uh, you know what the layout of the the track is going to be in Jeddah. It's a it's a street circuit, and uh, you know they're they're going to they're boasting uh, you know speeds which they're anticipating up to about two hundred and fifty kilometers an hour, which it's also going to be the longest and the fastest uh, street calendar on or street circuit on the calendar for for next year. I mean, it looks really interesting, but you know, just in general, I've got some you know I've got a lot of mixed, conflicting emotions about this one. And I, I should add also that it's going to be six point one seven five kilometers long. That's uh, that's the track there, second longest after uh, Spa on the tra- uh, on the circuit for next year. It's it's funny. I woke up this morning and as I think a lot of our listeners probably do, the first thing I do is like bumble around, grab my phone, open Instagram and start guilty through. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> guilty. Cause, Cause that's where I get so much of my news. And this was one of the first things that popped up was a bunch of renderings of the Jetta track. And, yeah. and the first thing I did was less so look at the images, but more look at the comments. And it's the same thing that I see every single time formula one posts something about Jetta, which is every single response is just blasting formula one for this decision, just bl- for the exact reason that you spoke to the human rights piece. Like it's, uh, it's it's going to be very difficult, I think, for Formula One to, as we get closer to this race, continue to promote it in the same sense. Like, you know what? I think a lot of people that are outside of that region kind of clump it all together that it's all the same. But I think from country to country in that region, um, society and cultural and human rights and women's rights are fundamentally different. And and the United Arab Emirates, which is where Abu Dhabi is, is worlds, worlds ahead of Saudi Arabia in terms of being progressive and open and, and all those different types of things. And Qatar is more and Bahrain is more, but Saudi is just, the kingdom is just 
in a different world. And I'm still very uncomfortable with this. And you hear that whole comment about sport washing, which is like, hey, let's throw a mm-hmm. sport there. And you know what? They've, they're big league now. And we can turn a blind eye to all of these other kind of pieces. It's just like, I, I'm so happy with some of the great things that you, the United Arab Emirates has done um, over the last 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And the fact that that society continues to be progressive relative to most of its neighbors. I haven't seen the same efforts in Saudi. I, I really haven't. And I I feel like in a sense that they're being rewarded with this race and we all know why it's there and it's purely a cash transaction and it's purely because of the Aramco tie-up as, mm. a, as a core sponsor of the sport. But uh, I, I just, I look at this region and I'm like the United Arab Emirates has done so many great things and they've built a great track and Saudi, I just, yeah. So I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to leave it at that. Yeah, I don't really have anything uh, to add to that. But you mentioned uh, Qatar. My good friend Simon Fudge, uh, you know, is a longtime uh, soccer journalist. Uh, you know, he's uh, you know worked for Vancouver Whitecaps. He's worked for Sky Sports, FIFA. Just literally touched down in Qatar earlier today for a you know starting a two year stint involved uh, with the, uh, the the you know the the media side for the World Cup. So that's you know shout out to my buddy Simon. Uh, we're we're gonna miss you, buddy. So you know maybe if COVID ever gets uh, you know we can put it behind us sooner. You know maybe there's an opportunity to go <laughs> go visit him down there. But finally, getting to our last story of the show tonight, uh, Yas Capito, the um, the, the uh, CEO of uh, Williams, still uh, you know trying to get these names right with the uh, you know the the new regime at uh, Williams. You know you're used to saying Sir Frank or Claire Williams, and you know and all these names that you've associated with them over the years. Anyways, uh, Yasta was saying uh, you're just talking about um, you know George Russell and the the potential that uh, you know he, he you know possibility at least that he, he could go to Williams or sorry not to Williams but uh, Mercedes next year. In an interview with Formal Eins Punt DE, or Formal Eins Punt DE, or dot DE, you know, I'm trying to mix German and English here, and it's getting late, not doing too well. Anyways, uh, Jost had to say, quote, if a driver gets an office, uh, offer from Mercedes in the current situation, there are very few alternatives. And uh, that's it. Quote, end quote. And uh, yeah, they really wouldn't have any choices. I mean, who would they really do to, to, to say that uh, they wouldn't want him to go uh, or try and keep him? I mean, uh, that would be the, uh, you know, that would be the dream move. And uh, it, it would be, it would obviously put um, uh, Williams in a bit of a tough uh, spot. I mean, but I think that, uh, you know, as we've talked about, you know, quite a few times uh, or quite a number of times that uh, George is really getting to, uh, I think, uh, a very crucial point in his young career. And if that opportunity to go to Mercedes, if should one of those race seats uh, open up for 2022 is, uh, I mean, you'd have to take it. You'd absolutely have to take it. And I mean, uh, no disrespect to Williams, but uh, yeah, you, you guys would be out of luck. There, there's a reason why Williams brought three drivers to winter testing, right? Like yeah. they, they have yeah. to strategically be anticipating that this could happen. Maybe, probably not in season, but but next season, and they need to start getting a, another driver comfortable in that car. Nessani also potentially brings a, a big chunk of cash with him, so I think Williams would be very happy to have two a largely paid drivers. But yeah, you're right. There's no question, and for all intents and purposes, he's there on loan anyways. This isn't yeah. a driver that came through the Williams Academy. This is a Mercedes driver that. That's in a Williams car because they run a Mercedes power unit and because Mercedes didn't have a seat for him. He, be- I shouldn't say he belongs to him. Nobody belongs to anybody else, but <laughs> he, he's effectively uh, a Mercedes driver and that's where he's ultimately going to end up. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, it has to happen at some point or else, uh, you know, as, as I think we talked about a couple of weeks ago, then he's going to become like, a, the, you know, the 2021 version of Esteban Ocon, you know, with this great tie up uh, to uh, Mercedes that uh, ultimately becomes like an anchor and, a, you know, a handcuff and then, uh, you know, it limits you in some of the options that uh, that you have within uh, Formula One. And I think, uh, you know, uh, you know, as, as very much as we're watching uh, George Russell, I think it'll be interesting to see what uh, Esteban Ocon does this year, because, you know, quite honestly, I thought last year in his first year back in Formula One after sitting out in 2019, I thought, you know, he looked a little bit rusty. I mean, there, there were a little bit of flashes. And I mean, well, you know, in his first go round with uh, with Racing Point or Force India, I guess it was Racing Point by the time he, he was in there. I mean, there, there were certainly some flashes that this was a, a very talented uh, young driver. So, you know, sitting out and missing a, you know, a year that early in your career, I mean, at any point in your career isn't great. But I think especially when you're a young driver like that, uh, you know, you lose a lot of momentum sitting in the sitting in the garage watching a monitor with the headset on for for an entire year 69 minutes until drive to survive drops 69 minutes there you go we'll we'll finish wrapping uh, this one up and while all all the uh you know this is uploading and everything's processing there we go we we can sit down and uh you know download uh you know and start watching start streaming the first uh you know first episode so there you go happy friday everyone happy uh you know well happy well, start of the season, basically, because can you believe it, Mark? Like we said off the st- top of the show that by the time we come back this time next week, it's full-on season preview, full-on race preview. It's uh, really, really exciting. And uh, on, on that note, I've got nothing else to add for tonight. Okay, we're out of here. We're, we're out of here. Absolutely. Well, thank you, everybody, for for downloading, listening to the show, uh, watching and uh, tuning in on uh, YouTube. If you want to get in touch, by all means, please do so. Drop us an email at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at ScuderiaF1Pod. And uh, if you want to support us and you want to help the show up, by all means, we'd very much appreciate that. And the easiest and quickest way to do that is hop onto Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast and leave a five-star rating review for your favorite podcast. And we are done giving that to them come on over and give us a nice review as well we'd appreciate it Uh, and especially you can give us a shout out to our self-defeatist sense of humor and on that note that's it that's a wrap enjoy the show enjoy the weekend enjoy season three of drive to survive and we'll talk to you guys this time next week bye for now